Welcome everybody to today's Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass. I hope everybody had a lovely break. I know I did and you're all relaxed and ready to take on 2022 because it's going to be another massive year. I mean, last year was huge, as I predicted. I was telling you all through 2020 to get out there and buy as much as you could because exactly what happened in 2022 was going to, 2021 was going to happen. Well, 2022 is going to be a different year. 2022 is still going to have massive increase. Maybe not quite as much as we saw for 2021, but still very significant. Now, there's a lot of underlying factors that'll make that transpire. And I want to start going through some of those with you. Now, I do these weekly updates for you so that you can make better decisions. I am an accountant, I am an economist. So when I talk about some of these things, I'm talking about how they relate specifically to property. Now, a lot of the things that I say will have overlaps into the share market and into uh, the, um, the business market and things like that. But specifically, I'm talking about property. So look, if you're listening to me on any one of the podcast platforms like iTunes or Spotify, t really, really want you to get across there to my website, which is iloverealestate.tv. Because not only do you get all of these, you get a whole bunch of other stuff as well. I've got videos and audios on all sorts of topics, which I know you're going to like. And, you know, it gives you the opportunity to follow what I do. You can subscribe to them. I'm on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to them so that you can get all of my charts and all of those other things as well. So let's get into the Intelligent Property Investor Masterclass for this week. What are we going to be covering? Well, the first thing we're going to be looking at is the, the year that we've just had, 2021. It was the biggest, well, it was the second biggest boom that we have seen in 150 years. And, you know, it's coast to coast. You know, we've been booming right across the country. Even the regional areas have had significant increases. And it doesn't look like anytime soon it's going to be slowing down either. I, you know, I want to talk about why it's still a seller's market and, you know, why we just can't get enough stock on the market. That's the problem at the moment. There isn't enough stock to meet the demand. And investors are coming back into the market as well. And I also want to talk about, you know, the, the distinct lack of tradies around the place. You know, you can't get a tradie for love nor money at the moment. And it's not just here. It is actually a global phenomenon. And it's as a result of all the stimulus packages and all of those things. But we'll get into that in a minute. So 2021 was the second biggest boom in 150 years. You know, and there's signs that there might be a little bit of of moderating this year. I'm not going to say slowing. It's not slowing at all. It's moderating um, into 2022. But it's still very, very strong. And as we enter into 22, we're going to see um, we're going to see some some pressures, and those pressures are going to play out uh, with banks. They're going to play out with um, the attitude towards getting loans and things like that. And there's a big bunch of investors coming back into the market, which perhaps have been sitting on the side for a little while. This is the chart that shows you it's the second biggest boom uh, that we've had in 100 years. Now, you can see there the biggest one was at the end of World War II. 1951 was the massive increase. So we kind of licked our wounds after World War, World War II for some time, and then 
we started to get out into the real world and started to think about wealth and money and investing and and 1951 was the year. I mean, look at that spike. That is massive, the increase that we saw in that one year. The other major one there to have a look at is the 1989 uh, one-year increase. So there we sit there in uh, 2021 to 2022. And as you can see, it's a decent increase as well. Second biggest in 150 years. Now, when you start to, uh, to break that down, you can see actually what's happened on this chart. Let's go, just go there to GFC. Now, GFC stands for the Global Financial Crisis. Most of you will remember that. And it peaked in 2008, bottomed out in 2010. But by the time we got to 2012, we were already above the previous peak. Now, let's just move forward to where uh, you can see their tighter lending standards. That was 2017. So what actually happened in 2017 is Sydney and Melbourne markets were screaming along. They were doing really well. And uh, the APRA, who is the governing body that controls the banks, wanted to cool the market. They thought that lending was getting out of control. So they put all of these restrictions on the banks. Consequently, they cooled the market all right. In fact, they killed the economy. And I was very vocal about it at the time. And I said, they're the, they're the, ter the, um, the financial terrorists of Australia. And they were, because they didn't just cool Sydney and Melbourne. They killed the country. The whole, the whole economy went backwards. In fact, over the next couple of years, the property market declined by 15%. But then you can see that uprise. Now, that was the second half of 2015. And we saw the markets go up uh, until we got COVID and then everybody just sat on their hands. It didn't really drop. But the, the thing that happened is everybody just sat on their properties and decided not to do anything. So there were very, very few sales. And that was really the, uh, the hallmark of 2020. But look where we are now. We are already above that peak of 2017 and we're climbing up the charts from there. So it gives us a good indication that uh, if, you, if you just draw a line from you know 2017 up, we're probably where we would have been had APRA not stuck their sticky nose in there and, and started to meddle with the, uh, the, the, the financial system and try to stop banks from lending. And the thing is 2021 was obviously the catch up for that. But you can see in this chart, you can see all the capital cities and uh, all the regional areas, all of them have had significant growth. And if you get the average across Australia, it's over 22%. I mean, look at some of those areas. I think the biggest one there that I can see is regional Tasmania, which has gone up nearly 30%. Absolutely crazy. So the regionals combined have come in at, you know, over 25%. So you can see that, that last year was massive and everybody knows it. There's, no, there's nobody that, uh, that couldn't understand what was, or know what was going on in the property market last year. You would have had your head in your rock, I think. Uh, but let's look at what's likely to happen from here because this is the problem. We don't have enough stock on the market. Now, economics comes back to demand and supply. And when demand is over supply, markets go up. When supply is over demand, markets go down. Where we sit at the moment is we are massively undersupplied. Because back in 2017, what happened was all the big boys started to pull back 
and they stopped producing stock. So we're playing catch up at the moment. But we've got all of 2017, 2018, half of 2019 catch up. And then all through COVID, all of 2020, we got all of 2020 to catch up because they didn't really start building again until the end of 2020 and into 2021. So we've got this massive, massive, massive backlog to catch up, to get anywhere close to where we need to be from our demand perspective. And it's really that pent up demand that has been fueling a lot of the increases. There's other things too, like there's the interest rates, obviously, money's cheap, you know, you, we haven't had money this cheap ever in, a, in this country. Um, the massive printing of money that the government is going through and all that's sloshing around so people want to put it somewhere. Where do they want to put it? They want to put it into property. And, you know, there's a whole lot of other economic reasons as to why property is really the go-to asset. I mean, when anyone goes into fear, what do they do? They go back to bricks and mortar. So we've got all of these other factors coming in to, you know, to, to add an effect. But the reality is that we just don't have enough stock on the market to get close to our, um, our demand for housing. And, and you can really see that in this one here. I mean, this is a rolling 28-day listing. But look at the blue line down the bottom. We are way lower than we have been in any of the previous years back to 2016. So, you know, it, it is clearly that we aren't selling. People are sitting on their stock, they're holding on, they don't want to sell, the prices are going up, they're doing well. Everybody's wealthier. Everyone's got more money if you've got money in the property market. And if you don't, well, you haven't been listening to me for very long, I can tell you that. Um, you know, one of the things I said back in 2020, if you can get your hands on it, you've got to have the biggest footprint in the market you possibly can. And that is where the acceleration is going to come from and it's going to continue this year. What we're going to see this year is we are going to see a more moderate growth, but still a very significant growth. I mean, last year was crazy. This year is going to be, a, you know, a more moderate growth rate, but still very, very good from a property perspective. Here's the clearance rates. One of the things you've got to look at to, to get an indication as to what the market's actually doing is to look at how many properties sell at auction. Now, you can see here at one stage we're up around the 80% because there was simply no stock to go around. But what we're seeing now is it's starting to, to come down a little bit, but not much. We're still way um, above where we have been for most of the last 10 years. And this is a telling tale as well. This shows you how uh, long it takes to sell a property. So you can see there it's less than a month, 25 for uh, the combined capital cities and 29 days for the combined regional areas. I mean, that's unheard of in regional areas. It would normally take somewhere around two, three, four months. You know, 180 days, as you can see there, uh, for you know a lot of the earlier part of that 10-year time bracket. So, you know, to have something sell within a month, that's incredible. Seriously, it's incredible. So what that indicates is a very tight market. And, uh, it, you know, it shows the fact that people are just buying what they can because they can't get any stock. Now, one of the other reasons that people are jumping into the property market is rents. Rents are so high. So the yield on your investment is very good. And, you know, when, when you're getting a crappy return out of some stocks and shares or, or money sitting in the bank, 
people are just going, you know what, I'm just going to buy a property and I'm going to rent it out and I'll get my 6% or whatever it is way above what it's earning in the bank. But the thing is, what you've seen over the last 12 months is that the yields on property have increased dramatically, particularly houses. Now, if you've known me for any length of time, you'll realise that I don't, I don't dislike units. I just think that you can get more value out of a piece of um, property that's got land content because with land you can do things. With you know a, a piece of, of a building in the sky, particularly, you can't. So even in Melbourne, even in Melbourne, where it's got a massive oversupply of inner city units, even those are starting to see the yield return. Now, the reason we saw yield really drop back in inner city Sydney and Melbourne in units, not in houses, but in units, is because of the overseas students. And the overseas students, when you know COVID hit, they all went home. Well, they're starting to trickle back now. And that's really who's filling all of those uh, inner city units, or to a large extent anyway. But even in Melbourne, we're starting to see an increase in the... Um, in the yield on units across the board. I mean, look at the houses, my goodness, Darwin, it's just gone absolutely crazy. But there's, you know, you can see the Hobart at 13 in the housing market, Brisbane nearly at 12, Perth at nearly 12, uh, Sydney's at 10, Adelaide's at nine, Canberra's at eight, and Melbourne's at 4.7. So the housing market obviously is, is my preferred area for, uh, for anything really because you get a better yield and you get better manufactured growth. However, can you make money in the unit market? Absolutely. But you're not going to make it buying off the plan brand new um, uh, units where uh, the apartment where somebody else has already made the money on it. The developer's already made their money. You're just the pleb at the end hoping that the, that the market goes up. Now look, we're in a stage where market probably will go up but it's the opportunity cost of what else you could have done with that money rather than being stuck with paying forty dollars to $80,000 overpriced because that's what they're selling them for at the moment. Now, this whole process of you know, lending to homeowners and investors, what we're starting to see is that the investors are starting to pick up. So the proportion of homeowners to investors has been, you know, largely weighted to the homeowner, obviously. But we're starting to see a little bit of a, a, an increase there with the amount of um, investors rather than just the homeowners. And that's a good thing. And it's really being fueled by that higher yield of obviously the market going up as well. When you look at the owner-occupy approvals, um, you can see there across all of the capital cities, no surprises there. The bigger, the bigger uh, states are have a um, you know a higher proportion, like New South Wales, and then uh, Victoria, and then in comes Queensland. Then we've got uh, WA, and then we've got South Australia. So, no surprises. It's just in proportion to the population of the area. Now, this shows you the first home buyers uh, across the varying states. And the first home buyers have had a major impact on the market because what, they've, what, what happened was when COVID hit and we were trying to stimulate the economy and all of those things, massive grants went out there to the first homeowners to start buying new property to try and get the, um, you know, the, the ball rolling again. 
Well, that's all very well, you know, and they jumped into the market and I hope they jumped in with responsible lending. But, and that took a, you know, a big surge at the bottom of the market, which in, in one respect is a good thing because when you stimulate the construction industry, you, can, you stimulate the whole of the, of the economy because construction happens everywhere and uh, the construction industry is actually, the housing industry is actually the largest employer in Australia, including mining, and including manufacturing and any other industry, we are uh, the construction industry and the property industry is the biggest, biggest employer. So it affects the biggest part of the population and it affects the whole of the country. So if you're trying to stimulate something, stimulating the, the construction industry is definitely the way to go. But the first home buyers, um, you know, they were gobbling up all the new stock. The problem is we don't have enough land. We don't have enough land available. Now, I'm going to get on my high horse a little bit here because it's the councils who are the stopper in the, in the whole process. They are the ones that are holding up applications. They are the ones that are putting ridiculous red tape into infill housing and the ability to be able to do small lot subdivisions and things like that. Um, you know, they, they kowtow to the big boys like Stocklands and Lend-Lease, but it's actually the smaller end of the market which is the most needy. That is where the affordability is. That is where the, the, um, the smaller investors, small and medium-sized investors who are out there doing the deals really can, uh, you know, can save all this massive um, shortage in stock. But the councils need to pull their head in, stop having the power play that they've been having for a number of years, which is just getting worse, I might add, and be pro-development, be pro-construction, be pro-growth. It'll mean much more, you know, rates to their area and whatever else, rather than getting these, you know, kids who are following something out of a book straight out of university who, who you know, trying to tell you what to do. It annoys me. It absolutely annoys me. Anyway, that is my statement. And it's right across the board. It's not one council. It's all of the councils. So if any councillors are there listening, pull your head in. Okay, let's get rid of the red tape and let's get some land out there for people to buy so that we can make more affordable housing for everybody. Let's get on to the next one. And this is where I said about investors coming back into the market. There is a rising demand. Now, part of that is because of the, um, the yield that's coming in that I talk about. Interest rates are low. How, you know, the growth is good. And units are now appearing to be quite affordable. So a lot of people are jumping into the unit market, the investors are, because they see it as an easy investment. But they're normally the uneducated invest, uh, investor because they're, they're buying units that don't have uh, any uplift. So they're buying the off-the-plan stuff and all of those sort of things and they think they're going to negative gear and make a fortune and they're not. Uh, but there is, there is some, some areas of the unit market which is good buying and does have uplift through renovation and other things. So... So I want the you guys that are listening to me, because you wouldn't be the uneducated out there for sure, I want you to really think about getting smarter in this market because there are some absolute gems uh, in the unit market, which is not something I normally say, but uh, the, there is some absolute gems there. And I want you to really, um, you know, get yourself educated in this space because there's, there's a lot of money to be made this year and you don't want to miss it. 
Um, this is a, a, a chart that came out uh, the last couple of weeks or so from Westpac. And it was looking at the, uh, you know, the, the consumer investor housing sentiment. So it's the confidence, basically, of, of the consumer and the investor. And what you see there is there's a plenty of upside for the investor to take up some of that, that uh, confidence in the demand space that the investor can actually fill. This is their uh, Westpac index versus the investor index. And again, what it shows is there's plenty of room for growth with the uh, investors coming back into the market. There is certainly uh, sentiment there. This one here I particularly like because what it shows is the yield versus the cost of funds. Now, we all know that, inter that interest rates are low and uh, it's the lowest we've had in ever in this country. What it means is you can borrow at one rate and you can rent it out with those high yields that I spoke about at a much higher rate. Now, that's called legal arbitrage. What it means is that you can, can uh, you know, leverage your money up and make the margin. And that makes a lot of sense. You're going to make profits out of doing that. And while the yields are so high right across the board, there's some really good margins to be made. This, uh, this chart here just shows you the new mortgages and uh, you know where they're faring compared to investors and owner-occupiers. And this one here gives you a little bit of an indication as to the, uh, the mortgages and the, um, the investors and the um, first home buyers. Now, notice the two periods of time there where the first home buyers peaked over the number of investors. One was back in 2008, which is when all of the stimulus packages were out there for first home buyers then. Um, and they all jumped on board to get their, you know, their grants and whatever. And the other one is now, uh, or has been, 2021. Because again, all of those grants played out at the end of 2020 and into 21. Um, they're starting to die off now, and that's where the investors are really starting to, to, to climb again. But just look at that chart, because what you can see is there's a lot of room for the investors to increase and we're still way under where we have been for the, you know, since 2003, you can see on that chart. So there's a lot of growth there to be had. And that's what we're going to see more of in 2021. 2022, I mean. Oh, look, this doesn't tell you too much other than the fact that interest rates are low. Now, let's just talk about interest rates. Interest rates are going to go up without question. They will go up. You know, if we've been the lowest we've ever been in history, of course they're going to go up. It's really a matter of timing. Are they going to go up in the next six months? I don't believe so. Are they going to creep up maybe towards the end of 2022? Possibly. Uh, when we get into 23, more likely. Now, that's um, what I'm talking about here is the Reserve Bank of Australia and what their official rates are going to be. But that doesn't mean that the uh, banks won't increase their, their rates uh, with, you know, without any inkling of increasing rates from the Reserve Bank of Australia. So there's a lot of fixed rates out available at the moment. And I want you to consider fixed rates. I'm Normally speaking, about 80% of the time, uh, you lose when you fix an interest rate. And here's why. I want, you to, I want you to bear this in mind. If this is your interest rate here at whatever level, 
And the fixed rate is, is a little bit above it, which mostly they are and they are certainly now. And whether it's a two-year fixed or a three-year fixed or whatever. For you to be better off by fixing, because it's slightly higher, the, the interest rate, the variable interest rate has to go up to the figure that you fixed at and above it by an equal or greater amount for more than half the time for you to be better off. Let me just say that again because it's really super important. If your interest rate is at a, at a certain level and the fixed rate is slightly above it, the real interest rate that you would have paid without fixing needs to go up to what your, the fixed rate is that you fixed at and above it by an equal or greater percent by more than half the time for you to get a better result. And that's not always the case. In fact, 80% of the time is not the case. It could be now. I want you to do those calculations. I want you to consider whether it's beneficial for you. And if you're going to consider it, I really want you to only do it on a property you're not going to sell in the, in the space of time of the fixed interest rate. You're not going to refinance. You're not going to need to leverage against it to go and do something else um, because you, you know, you'll lose out in that because you'll have to pay penalty interest and other things. So just bear that in mind. Do the calculations and see what you think for yourself. Maybe fix part of it. So why can't we find a tradie for love nor money? <laughs> Well, a lot of it is due to these stimulus packages. As, as I said before, if you want to stimulate the economy, you stimulate the construction industry. Well, that's all playing out in real time right now. And then on top of that, through COVID, everybody was saving and staying at home and the only place you could go was Bunnings. So they started doing home improvements. Um, and, you know, this, this uh, article here actually says that nearly two in three homeowners are planning to renovate in the next six months and the majority intending to spend over $10,000. So, you know, this is despite the, the, the uh, surge in cost of materials. So a lot of people are, you know, sitting at home, they're, they're putting swimming pools in, they're improving, they're adding that garage or the patio or whatever else, or they're reconfiguring their houses. And not only is the construction industry for new housing chewing up all of these tradies and contractors, so too is the renovation market. And, uh, you know, that in itself is creating a little bit of a, a war amongst the, tra the tradies. There's a lot of, you know, price gouging going on at the moment. Um, when we get to a little bit closer to demand and supply being uh, a little bit more in alignment, that'll start to come down and things will start to ease a little bit as well. So you can see there the loans that have been given out by the banks for home renovations and additions. And so instead of selling, a lot of people now are extending that would have normally sold their property and gone and bought something else. Most people aren't doing that now. They're actually making do with what they've got by improving, extending all the other things that they want to go and do. And, you know, that chart shows it as well. You can just see how much money uh, is going out into the, uh, you know, into that, that area of renovations. This chart's kind of interesting because what it shows is the Reserve Bank of Australia's balance sheet. So it shows how much money has been printed. Now, at the moment, we're printing about $4 billion a week. That equates to around $570 million a day. 
That is a bucket load of money. And where is it going? Well, it's going into handouts and infrastructure spending and all the rest of it. But ultimately, what it means is that that all of that money gushing around in the economy, people are putting it into bricks and mortar, either through extensions and renovations or back into the, into the property market. And that is adding extra pressure and that, that doesn't look like changing through most of 2022. So again, we're all through 22. We've got all of this upward pressure happening. And look, we're not the only one printing money. This shows you how much we are printing in comparison to our size compared to other countries. So uh, we're out there doing our fair share, I can tell you, and our, our um, you know, printing of money compared to our size is substantial. Uh, you know, it's more than the US, even though theirs is in the trillions, they're much bigger than us as well, more than the UK. You can see those things. And the reason that, you know, a lot of the money's going into the property is because everybody's saving. All through COVID, there was saving like crazy because we weren't going overseas. Well, half the country wasn't even going out for a cup of coffee. And all of that money that would have perhaps been spent on a holiday somewhere overseas or whatever is now going back into housing. And again, double whammy, it's pushing the prices up. There's a war chest in individuals, in individuals' bank accounts of over $200 billion. That's how much we've saved through the pandemic. You know, that's how much we've got sitting available to us to go into the property market. And it's not just us. You know, this chart here shows, uh, you know, $3.7 trillion, uh, you know, ac across the board. And that's not just Australia, but that's a lot of money, trillions of dollars sitting around wanting to go into the property market. So what's the best thing that you can do? The best thing you can do to start with is to start writing some goals. Write down your goals for 2022. How much money do you want to create in passive income? So how much do you want to increase your income by this year by investing into properties? Not negative gearing, but passive positive gearing. How many properties do you want to get into this year? How much wealth do you want to create this year? How much do you need to create in order to pay off your home? I mean, you could pay off your home in the next two to three years uh, by being active in the property market. You could replace your income in the next two to three years by being active in the property market. But you've got to want it. I can't, I can't say you should do this. I think you should. But it's up to you whether you go after that or not. So let's start by writing down some goals. And there's magic power in the pen. Simply writing down the goal, what it does is it crystallizes your thought processes. It crystallizes what you really want and what's just fuzzy muddle up there running around and what's ego. When you write down a goal, I want you to connect to it. I want you to commit to it. I want you to, to feel the goal as if it's already happened. Because if you can connect at that level, then you're going to make it happen. Now, once you've written down those goals, the next thing I want you to do is I want you to connect with one of my advisors. Now, we don't sell properties. That's not what we're about. But we will help you achieve those goals. So the more you, clarity you have around your goals, the more we can help you. Now, there's 60-minute breakthrough sessions with one of my advisors. They are free. And, you know, you click through there or go to iloverealestate.tv forward slash questions forward slash 
and take one of those appointments. Now, when you take one of the appointments, write it down so you don't forget because my advisor is going to be there at the appointed time. So I want to make sure you are as well. These are very valuable. They will really help you, um, you know, crystallize your movement forward and show you how we can help you to achieve those goals as well. So look, that's it for me this week. I hope you've enjoyed your break because it's work time now. We're back into it. Let's just get this 2022 thing happening and make it an absolute cracker. <laughs> see you soon, guys. I'll see you next week. Bye for now.